we're, we're deciding what we're going to buy someone for Christmas, um, there's, there's two ways that we either do. In, in my household, what we do is we pick names. You know, so we'll buy all the kids presents, but when it comes to the adults, you pick a name and then you try and find a Christmas present for that person. And oftentimes what we do is we try and figure out what do they want for Christmas? And the easiest thing to do is go ask them, what do you want for Christmas, right? And it's either because you really want to deliver the present that they really want, or you just can't be bothered being creative and coming up with an idea and making your own gift for them, right? No? Am I the only one? I don't want to be sucked into this vortex of Christmas shopping, going from store to store on Black Friday or something, and having to be caught up with all these people who are trying to find something. Why don't you just tell me what you want, and I'll go to Amazon and press a button. Yes! That's what I'm talking about. I, you, know, not, you, know, you know that I love you when I'm going to press a button just for you. So we get to this place where we know what we want for Christmas. People know what they want for Christmas, but this is kind of odd. Maybe you've never asked yourself this question, but what does God want for Christmas? What is, what is it that He actually wants for Christmas Himself? Now, I know how, what my kids want for Christmas, and it's really easy because all I have to do is wait for the Target magazines to come in and be delivered through our door, not through the door, to the box. And then I go and get the, get the Target magazines or the kids get the Target magazines. And then what they do is they go to bed with these Target magazines with a big pen, a big Sharpie, right? And then they lie in bed and they start circling the, the things that they want, right? Whose kids do that? Yeah, there's a lot of hands. Okay, who does that themselves? <laughs> Way more many hands this morning. Okay, so they circle the things and then they get up in the morning and they present the magazine to you and say, hey dad, these are the things that I want for Christmas, right? <clears throat> and you flip through the magazine and discover that there isn't anything that's not circled. Right? Or the ones that are not circled are crossed out because they, it's like a frozen dress that they already have and they don't want you to be confused with buying the same frozen dress that you'd already got them before. Yeah, is that right? Now, maybe your wife does that. I don't know whether you leave the magazine open on a coffee table or your husband does it and makes a big circle around something that they want from Home Depot or something. It's easy for us to decide what we want for Christmas, not only because we get help from the magazine, to try and figure that out, but because we often dream about it, we think about it. These are things in our minds. When I was a kid, I remember when I was a child, I uh, forgot to use the clicker this morning. <clears throat> um, when I was a child, I had a dream of a, and a desire of something I wanted for Christmas, and it was a BMX, right? You've heard of a BMX. Now, I'm maybe going to show my age right now, but BMXs were actually invented in my day. Right? Right? Today, if I, gonna, if I tell that to third service or that I tell that to anyone that's younger than me, they just consider that BMXs have always existed. They didn't. They didn't. They were invented in black and white days. Remember the TV when there was all black and white on TV? Right? So they were, they were, they were invented in my day when I was younger. And I say black and white days because that's what was our first television, was a black and white television. And I remember walking down the road and seeing this kid on a BMX and I was, I was, I was wowed by this thing. That was, like the, that was like something from Star Wars. It was amazing. This thing was just, you could do tricks with this thing. And I desired to have this BMX. And I remember going to bed at night. It was about six or seven years old, and, and I went to bed at night dreaming about a BMX. And so the day comes, my parents asked me, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, I want a bike for Christmas, right? What I failed to do was define what type of bike that should be, right? 
I want a bike for Christmas. So I'm thinking I'm going to get a bike for Christmas. And then one day my brother tells me, he says, hey, um, I, uh, uh, Peter, I've got your Christmas present for you. Mom and dad asked me to go get it for you. And I don't want you to go in the attic. No, uh, the, the attic was where my room was. My room was beside the attic. I, I didn't live in the attic. That's a completely different story, right? Um, <laughs> I wish I was with the children out there playing. You know. No, that wasn't my life. Wrong rabbit trail. Okay, so my room's over here, looking out windows, looking at creepy children. Okay, so I'm in this, and the attic is over here, so I've got to go past this attic every night when I want to go to bed. So I'm going past this attic one night, and I'm just like, oh, I need to see this bike. So I opened up the door, and I opened up the door to look at the bike that was in there, and what I saw was not a BMX. Right, so I, I, I grew up in a family where my, my parents, my parents uh, uh, decided to become pastors, which is basically signing up for not having any money in life, right? And so they were kind of pastors stroke missionaries, and so they didn't have a lot of money. So when I asked for a bike, they took the idea of what I asked them and then translated it into something completely different that actually fitted into their budget, because I was the youngest of four as well. They had other kids to look after, but I didn't really care about them, right? So, so I'm like, I'm like, but I can't, I, I understand understand now they were trying to fit it in the budget. And it turns out it was a, a bike that was too big for me, but it was a free bike. It was a bike that they had found for free that my brother decided to polish up. And so what I had done is I had said, mom and dad, I want a blue bike, right? I didn't say BMX, I should have said BMX. And so they gave me a blue bike because what my brother did is he found a pot of blue paint and he hand painted this bike, right? Right? Then you're thinking, hey, that sounds like an awesome idea. I want a blue car, I'll just paint it myself, right? <laughs> so I got this blue bike, and, and I have to say, I was disappointed. I, was, I, I truly was disappointed. And I'm not trying to give you a heartbreak story of how terrible my life was, but that was the Christmas present I didn't dream of, right? That wasn't matching my dreams. And then it's a little bit like, you know when you have a dream in the cartoon, and you have this bubble in this dream, and then suddenly it just starts cracking like grass, glass and it starts like sharding down into the ground and your dream just falls apart. That's what it felt like for me. I wasn't going to bed dreaming about that bike I saw in the attic. It was my BMX. The BMX wasn't going to manifest. It wasn't going to exist anymore. So I might as well just get rid of that dream. And so I wonder if there's a place where um, uh, how often we have these dreams and we know exactly what it is that we desire in life, but we don't necessarily know what God desires in life. We don't really know what it is that he wants. Is he getting up in the morning and disappointed with what he was hoping for and desiring, but it didn't actually turn out that way? Sometimes we, 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 we ask what God wants. So we, we tell God what we want from him, and then we don't get it, and we feel disappointed ourselves. Now, let me make this clear. I do believe that God wants to fulfill the desires of our hearts. I do believe that. It's a church that believes that it says that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things you desire will be added unto you is what the word says. So we do believe that God wants to give us these things. But oftentimes they come packaged in a way or in a manner that you don't really want. They come to us in, in, in objects or places or with people that we didn't really dream about in the first place. It's wrapped up in a completely different manner. 
So this morning, what I want to do is I want to read a scripture that I think really shows us uh, how the wise men responded to Christ when he was packaged in a completely different manner. And I think we've got a lot, a, a lot to learn uh, of how we should respond to scenarios or situations where things are not wrapped up or packaged in the way that we particularly want. So let's read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. <clears throat> then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. If you're sitting beside someone that you can afford to take the hand of, I want you to take the hand and let's just ask God to speak to us this morning. Father, we're inviting your spirit right now to take your word and manifest it within us that we see something we've never seen before. We learn something we've never learned before. Father, we don't want to come into this room and not leave by a different route like the Magi did. Father, we want to be changed from the inside to the outside. We ask this in your precious son's name. And all God's people said... Amen. So let's look at the wise man. What did the wise man, what did the wise men do? How did they respond to this, this particular situation? And what can we learn from it? Well, I've got four suggestions of the things that the Magi actually learn. What do we learn from the Magi's wisdom? The first one is this, that wise people look past the circumstance. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, it says that they came to see him. Now, if you've got any Christmas cards that you've received from people, you often have a picture of baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds are there and the Magi are there. But the Magi actually came probably about two years later. They didn't actually come when Jesus was first born. But it doesn't mean that they didn't see the star when Jesus was born. So can you imagine the amount of effort and time that they took to go find the presence of God, to see the Messiah come in human form? 
Imagine, imagine how many times they probably thought, hey, there's the star, we've read the signs, let's get ourselves packed up, let's get ready. They got all their stuff together. They're leaving the comfort of their homes. They're leaving the comforts of, of all the things that they know. And they decide to go off and do uh, the great search for the Messiah and for Christ. And they figure to themselves, hey, this might take us maybe a week. Surely it can't be that far. And so they spend the time looking for this Messiah and after a week he's not found. Maybe they thought, well, this will maybe take us maybe a few weeks, maybe it'll take us a month. That should be over and done with by then. And by the time they didn't see him in a month, maybe they thought, well, maybe it'll be next season. Well, now that we've traveled during winter, let's wait till spring is over and we'll see if we can find him by the end of spring. I don't know how they measured time or what their expectations were, but I know this, that it took them probably about two years to figure out where was Christ. That's quite a commitment. The amount of energy, the amount of time. And sometimes what happens is when we go look for something that we're hoping to have or what God has told us to go find and we find it and it's not that impressive, we're disappointed simply because we're looking at the amount of sacrifice we put into this in order to get that very thing. And here they are in this, in this particular situation. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. They didn't go to Bethlehem. Was the star confused? Hey, I thought, I thought you said the star was going to take us to Bethlehem, it's going to take us to the Messiah. Well, it, it was. I'm trying, to, I'm, I'm trying to follow this star the best I can. Yeah, but we asked everybody where the Messiah is and nobody knows where he is. We've come to a place called Jerusalem where they expected to find kings because where do you find kings but in the seat of power? Where do you find kings but in the, capital, in the capital city of the country? You find kings around power, around other influential people, around other wonderful things. That's where you find a king. And yet it told us right in the first sentence, he was born in Bethlehem. Was the star confused? Did it forget to tap into Google? Hey Google, can you tell me where the Messiah is? And then it made a roadmap to get to there. Was the star confused with where the Messiah was? Sometimes maybe the star took them to Jerusalem. Maybe the star was still trying to get to Bethlehem and they had stopped because they were configuring the idea in their mind that the Christ, the King, must be in Jerusalem. But when they didn't find him in Jerusalem, they had to go and decide that we're not going to be defined by this level, this standard, this place. We are not going to demand that Christ has to be here. We're going to go wherever God leads us. Sometimes we have to learn how to accept where God is, even if it's in the worst of places. Listen, when they got to a place like a stable, you can imagine it didn't smell like Chanel number five. It probably smelled like manure number two, right? And so it didn't quite smell like the place that I would expect to find the Messiah. It didn't look like the place and and it wasn't configured in how I expect God to manifest himself. And sometimes I think we do that. We expect that we we should have a certain type of music or a certain type of peace within ourselves or I have to find the place where I can have some me time so that I can really feel the presence of God when the fact is God is in the worst of places. God is sometimes in that place of that argument that you had with a friend or with a spouse or with a, with a, with a, with a, a parent or something. God is actually hiding himself and he's buried in the middle of the worst of places. I want you to see this, that there's nowhere in the Bible that it says that Jesus was born in a stable. It doesn't say the word stable. 
but it says he was born in a manger. And it's very acceptable for us to believe that he was born in a stable because where do you have a manger but in a stable, right? But what does the word stable mean? The word stable has two meanings. It means secure or it means a shelter to contain certain animals. And I wonder if God made the decision to not be born in a palace because if we had gone to find him in the middle of power or riches or in the middle of influence, that we would start to be confused with the idea of thinking that our stability of ourselves is found in those places. And in our humanity, this is something I believe that we have done, is that when we don't find God, we start to look for other things. But God is the place of stability. We are stable in Christ. We are stable in His presence, not in the things that we can control. We're not stable because I have the right spouse. I'm not stable because the bills seem to match up with the amount of money that I have. I'm not stable because everything is going my way and I'm being honored and all my dreams are being, uh, uh, coming to pass. I am stable in the presence of Christ. Are you looking for your stability in all the power, the positions, the places, the people that can bring you a level of security? Are you surrounding yourself with stuff to make yourself feel stable, but Christ is not choosing to be there for you? Maybe you're in the place that you're in because Christ is in the middle of that and he's looking to show himself. He wants you to find him and not be confused or blurred with the idea of stuff. A stable is a place where we take animals who get out of control and don't know how to follow boundaries and we contain them. I wonder if this is what happened with Adam and Eve, that as soon as they started to believe that God was withholding something from them, they felt rejected and their emotions started to believe, then what's going to happen to us? And then they start making decisions on their own behalf that are outside the will of God and got themselves into trouble. Oftentimes that's what happened to us, that when fear overcomes us, worry overcomes us, rejection starts to set into us, we start making decisions to do things that you know fine well are not what God told you to do because you're trying to build up your security and your walls around you, your, your mansions, the people, your influences, your power to make yourself feel safe and secure when the fact is you're stable in Christ. Do you follow me so far? Let's look at the second thing. What do we learn from the Magi's wisdom? The second thing that we learn from the Magi's wisdom is this, that wise people look past the consensus. In Matthew chapter two, verses two to three, it says this, the Magi asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. The Magi weren't disappointed because no one else was looking for the Messiah. They weren't disappointed because nobody else joined in with them. They didn't need others to agree with them for what God had told them to do. Oftentimes what we do is we define what people uh, um, 
people's responses to tell us whether we're on the right track. Now, now don't get me wrong. I do believe that God has put mentors and put leaders in place to overlook us. The Bible says that, that he has put shepherds in our life to oversee us, to keep us safe. I do believe that. That's why I have a leader. That's why I have a pastor that I'm accountable to. So if he tells me to go to the left, I need to go to the left. He tells me to go to the right, I need to go to the right because I'm trusting God is guiding me through him. But oftentimes what we do is we look for a consensus of people agreeing with us before we believe that what we're doing is right. Who has ever run a cell group before where you, you, you got a word from God and it was an awesome word for God and you studied the living daylights out of this thing and it was an awesome word and you're like, man, next Wednesday night a group is going to be awesome. It's going to change the world. And then one by one on a Wednesday you get a phone call, hey dude, I can't make it and nobody turns up. Anyone ever had that happen before? Anyone? And it just me? No, just me. And then you get disappointed and go, God, why would you give me the word if no one's going to turn up? Why would you give me this passion and this desire if no one's going to be there? And maybe one person turns up who's someone who doesn't really want to do anything with God in their life. They just like to come along because you're providing coffee and cookies, right? Or eggnog and cookies. And they come along and you're like, all right, well, I'll just, I'll just I'll share the word with him. And we get disappointed because it's not getting the results and the feeling and the manifestation that I expected it to be. Maybe God was happy for people not to turn up. Maybe he was happy for you just to get it because he wants you to be satisfied in his presence. He wants you to be stable and satisfied with him. You don't need other people to agree with you in order to manifest the presence of God. Maybe God's waiting for the right time for them to get it. Maybe he's trying to get you to get it right now. He doesn't want them. Maybe they've already got it and they don't need to turn up because you are the one that need to get it too. I've been through this a dozen different times, times a hundred. I'm telling you, it's amazing how sometimes we will look for a consensus on Facebook or what people like about us or what people say about us before we can decide that this is true and then we take our frustration out on them or we take frustration out on God or we start to tell ourselves there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. Maybe God wanted you to get something today so that he could let you use it in a year's time. But he wanted you to marinate in it today. Look past the consensus. There's another great scripture that we'll skip over right now and go into the next point. What do we learn from the Magi's wisdom? The third one is this. The third thing we learn from the Magi's wisdom is wise people always give their best contribution. Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 on coming to the house they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh Jesus didn't look like a king he didn't look like a powerful king that's for sure he was a little baby born to two young people that didn't have any position in life He wasn't born surrounded by majesty, by a massive palace. He didn't didn't look like a king. He didn't even smell like a king. He didn't act like a king. He wasn't surrounded by an entourage that made him be identified as someone who was a king. He just wasn't that way. Not the way it was. Uh, Yet the Magi, when they turned up, they gave their best to this king. Sometimes what we can do is we can turn up to where we think God has told us to be and then when it's not quite what we want it to be or what we imagine it to be, we often sometimes withhold our best. 
We don't give our best into that situation. How many times have we been to the place where we have a job and it's not really a job I want? This is not the boss I was looking for. I was hoping for a boss that would be invested in me and wouldn't be greedy. I was hoping for a boss that would have a, a vision to do something great in life, but all they want to do is do things their own way and they won't accept my great ideas. Maybe you're in a, an, even in a marriage where you have actually been married to someone and, 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 or you, now you're no longer married to that person and things haven't turned out the way that you want it to be. God, I told you the list of things that I wanted in a spouse and you're missing a few things on that list. Or maybe you have, maybe you're even in a family that is nothing particularly brilliant. Maybe your, 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 your bank account, your vocation, the, the things that you had imagined you would become was going to be something so magnificent, but it hasn't turned out the way that you want it to be. And what we do is we withhold our best. Because this is not what I was looking for, I'll wait till it actually gets better instead of accepting the idea that maybe there's a reason why you're still in the place that you're in because God wants to manifest himself in that place. And if God has manifest himself in that place, then you need to give your best. You need to take what you've got and respond by giving your best. They didn't withhold their, their frankincense and their myrrh and hold it back and went, well, let's see if this is the king first. Let, let's... Um, Let's see what's going on. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think this is going to work out for us. Well, let's just wait for a better opportunity. Instead of giving their best, God, you have chosen to bring us to this place. This is where you've told us to be. So we're going to, we're going to accept the way that you have done this. You configured it. It doesn't make sense. But I'm going to give my best in this situation because there's plenty more from where that came from in your presence. When I, was a, when I was about 17 years old, I, my first vehicle was a van, right? Um, because that's all I could get. So I had a van. And if you know this, that anyone who owns a van or a truck, you immediately have a whole bunch of friends, right? Because especially the friends that seem to actually need to move to a different apartment, right? Is that right? Or they need some junk in their backyard carried away. You're everybody's friend. And as soon as you downgrade to a normal car, suddenly you don't have as many friends anymore. So it was about 17. And, uh, and sure enough, I had a list of extra friends that seemed to always need to move house. And uh, there was this one particular guy who had said, hey, could you help me move at the weekend? Sure. Uh, just buy me lunch and just give me gas money and we'll do that, right? So I was going to help him on the Saturday. So I called him up on the Friday and go, hey, we're still moving. He goes, yes, we are. We're definitely moving tomorrow. I've got to be out of this place. But I've got to work today and tonight. I've got to do a double shift. So I haven't had a chance to pack yet. So if you could come a little bit earlier tomorrow and we'll try packed together and then we'll, we'll, we'll get moving. Now, wait a second. I didn't sign up for packaging your rubbish, right? I didn't, I didn't sign up for that stuff. And, and so I got up on the Saturday morning and I was having breakfast and my dad was there in the living room and I was just, I was kind of, I don't know why, I was sitting on the coffee table just watching the TV, having my breakfast. He's like, oh, what are you doing today? And I'm like, flipping moving Ian, moving his house. And he's like, oh, you, you, why are you doing that? You, you don't have any joy in this? No, I don't. Because he hasn't packed his stuff yet. And I hate going to other people's houses and having to pack their stuff and carrying bundles of clothes under my arm. I just want to lift up boxes and put it in my vehicle. And he's like, well... Don't worry about it, just go move them. And it's like, but I'm thinking of calling him up and saying, hey, I can't do it, buddy. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. You agreed to do this. And I said, I didn't agree to do his packing. I agreed to move his house. And he said, did you tell him you wouldn't move his house if he hadn't packed his stuff yet? And I said, no. And he said, then you're still committed to this. Give your best. 
I always remember my father saying that. Give your best. It's not what you wanted. It's not the way I desired it to be. But you have to still give your best because you're not serving the person. You're not demanding it has to be a certain way. It doesn't have to be a certain configuration. But all the same, you must give your best. The fourth thing that I see in this is the fourth thing that the wise, people, the wise magi uh, learned was wise people change their course. Why is this important? After being with Christ, you must choose a better path. You must choose to be different. In Matthew chapter two, verses 12, it says, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. God is not giving us suggestions of how we can tweak our life or how we can change things. He's literally in a very fatherly way giving us warnings of how we must change our path. Why? Because oftentimes there is jealousy and bitterness that are waiting in the path to trap you. And this is why uh, he told the Magi to change their path because there was a jealous and bitter king that was waiting in the path to overcome them, to steal what God had given to them, to steal their joy. The reason why God tells us to forgive our brethren, to forgive our family, to forgive our fathers and our mothers, to forgive that person who has done something bad against you, whether it's a neighbor or a business partner or a client or whoever it is, the reason why he tells us to forgive them is because bitterness is waiting on the path to control you. Bitterness is waiting. Anger, jealousy is waiting to take you over and take you out and steal your joy. You can't afford for your joy to be stolen. You know why? Because whatever you leave this earth with, is the, is whatever, whenever you leave this earth, you're going to be leaving all the rest of the stuff with your kids. What are you leaving them? Joy, bitterness, anger, disagreement, Never talking to that person in your family? Is that what you're leaving? Because if you're leaving that, you're leaving it with your children and you're teaching them how to do it. Your future generations can't afford for you to die today, to be trapped by what's on the path. I was reading in Genesis chapter um, 4, verse 7, and Cain had just killed his brother. And God had asked him, What are you doing? What's happened? Where's your brother? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? And God said this, he said, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God is not saying, hey, which path do you wanna choose? He's saying, choose the right path. Change your direction. Get rid of that bitterness. Get rid of that jealousy. Get rid of that rejection. Because something is waiting on your path. It's crouching and waiting for you. Do not go down that path. Thanks be to God that he gives us warnings in those ways. And we have the opportunity to be saved if we actually heed these warnings. Going back to my original story about uh, my BMX. I knew I was disappointed. I knew I was, I was not happy with the idea that the bike I was gonna get that wasn't a BMX. But I remember seeing that bike and deciding that on Christmas morning, I was gonna have to do something. I was gonna have to meet that bike. 
And I remember being the last one getting up and I went downstairs and everybody else was in, already in the living room and I had an audience of people that were waiting for my response to what the family had chosen to give me. I remember walking in the living room and I opened it up and I saw this big blue bike, hand-painted, leaning against the piano. And I went, oh, I got a bike. Thanks so much. God had prepared me to have the right response so that when I walked in, not that he was trying to keep me from disappointment, but so that I wasn't infecting and affecting other people with the bad response that was already maybe in my heart but he had given me the opportunity to be prepared because he knew fine well he was bringing the right spirit to other people through me. And I'll be honest, I wish I had that bike today because it tells me of the love of my brother more than it tells me about the desires of a BMX I ever had. Don't look back on your life and wish you had a better response to the junky, smelly situations that you have had in your life. Choose to have a great response to every circumstance that you find yourself because someday you're gonna look back and realize that God's presence was buried in the middle of each of these circumstances. Someday we're gonna inherit a crown. You're gonna inherit a crown. You're going to have songs sung about you. People are gonna cheer about what you have done on this earth. Give them enough reason to cheer about your response to the Father. The Father is giving us an opportunity to learn how to respond to Him so that we choose Him even in the middle of great riches. Father, we ask for Your Spirit this morning. Forgive us, Father, for the times when we have desired what we want and we have demanded what we want. And when we didn't get what we wanted, we're now disappointed disappointed and we're withholding our affections from our wives and our husbands and we're withholding our our best from our friends and our bosses. Father, forgive us for that bad response. Lord, we want to be the people who are turning up today and we're now not asking, what are we going to get? We're now telling you, we've got something for you. It's me. It's my best. What do you want for Christmas, Father? I know what he wants. He wants my best, my best response, my best heart, my best choice, my best love. And so Father, we choose to give our best this morning. In each circumstance that we find ourselves, we will choose to give our best. Take a moment to allow God to bring something to mind right now that He wants you to change your response in to give your best. Maybe when you leave here this morning, you need to make a phone call to someone today and tell them you love them. Maybe you need to change your, your, your investment in a, in a particular situation with a job or a friend or a family member, that you need to give your best with them instead of just deciding there's no God in them. If you're at home right now and you're listening to this, I want you to choose to turn up on Christmas morning and be grateful for whatever God has given you. I want you to choose the best response that you've got right now before a more difficult situation comes along because more and more people are becoming dependent on you to give your best. They're looking for the presence of God 
and they're gonna see it through you. Father, we ask that you would bless us this morning as we choose to give our best. And all God's people said, amen. May God bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. Have a great day.